1: You're listening to Just Some Podcasts, and here's your hosts, Ben and Tom.
2: Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcasts for Advanced Practitioners. This is Tom.
1: Hey, this is Ben.
2: And we have another special episode. I think they all feel special to me. They're all my little babies.
1: I know. I understand. I feel the same way. I'm like, oh, I really like this one. Oh, but I like this one too.
2: <laughs> but we uh, had the honor and privilege of recording a dual episode with another podcast. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Ben?
1: So yeah, we got the opportunity to record with Christine. Uh, she's from Antidotes Stories in Medicine, and so it's actually kind of going to be a simulcast. So we're going to be on her podcast. She's going to be on our podcast. And we recorded it the other night, and I really think that it's a really, it's a very special episode, Tom.
2: It is very special, and we don't cover the normal where we pick a health uh, issue and we kind of dive into it a little bit. This one was more about NPs talking about how we got into it and what we did and our backgrounds. and kind of uh, sharing those stories. And I think we all have that background and story. So I think it's something that will resonate with people to hear like, Oh, that's what, you know, they went through when, you know, everyone's got their own story. And I, I think they'll connect with that.
1: Yeah. We kind of went with her format, which I think is wonderful. I enjoy listening to her podcast and it's just that honestly, we didn't have a plan when we started recording. Literally we were, we, we talked beforehand and we're like, uh, let's just push record and see what happens. Um, and, what happened was uh, you know a really really good episode you hear how christine got into this and how tom got into this and how i got into it and you know you, you even get to see the heart of tom in this episode oh,
2: yeah it's uh, it's usually grinch sized but for a minute it grew three sizes bigger than normal but
1: but we do want you to encourage you to check out Antidote Stories in Medicine. There will be a couple of commercials for it throughout this episode because we want to make sure that you go and subscribe to her show and listen to it too because it is a really good show.
2: It is a great show, and I I think we all are supportive of each other in the podcasting world for sure. But as NPs, I think that's one of the missions Ben and I, I guess we could say, have is to try and connect us all in the greater cause, which is improving our profession and and making ourselves better.
1: And what better way to celebrate a Christmas episode of, you know, togetherness and family than to talk about the brotherhood with, you know, police, fire, 911, ER, EMTs, um, you know, talking about that. And then, you know, you got to have some good flashbang grenade stories in there too. (laughs)
2: oh yeah if and if you are not aware of what a flashbang grenade is uh well the name pretty much says it all <laughs> it's uh very loud and yeah it's very loud it's very bright and uh let me tell you if and you'll hear this in the episode but if you have never been around one I highly suggest youtubing it watching somebody do that on video because let me tell you in person it is a uh well, it's an experience. We'll, we'll just leave it at that.
1: And I did mention, uh, or I think we actually talked about that on some of our private social media, too. So definitely, was an, it's, it, definitely an interesting experience if you've never gotten to experience it before.
2: So since we did such a special episode with Miss Christine, and basically we went really long between the three of us uh, talking. So some of the normal stuff we have, like the stories you may have missed or anything, we decided not to do.
1: Throwing it out for the week,
2: yeah, we're throwing it out because, as Ben pointed out pre-show, uh, these are all stories people have missed. So <laughs> we just we decided just to go forwards. And he's correct. Uh, the toe, the sh- the toe, huh, the show was completely winged. Uh, we usually have at least a rough outline of uh, what we want to talk about. In this show, we just said "fuck it," boom, and just went it went happened. went forwards.
1: Yeah, yeah. But since I did say shows, damn it! Look at me messing it up that's because I'm used to you throwing it to me. So go ahead. Uh. And since you brought that up,
2: Ben, I know you are aching to throw out a social media shout out. So hit me with it.
1: Well, you can join the conversation and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at just some podcast. We're on the web, com or shoot us an email admin at just Hey guys, this is Ben. Tom and I hope that you're enjoying this special episode of Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners with our special guest, Christine from Antidotes, Stories, and Medicine. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure that you subscribe to her podcast where she does this every week. and She gets medical professionals to tell all kinds of stories. That's Antidotes, Stories, and Medicine. You can find her podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast now. You can also find her on Twitter at Antidotes Pod, and on Facebook and Instagram at Antidotes Podcast.
2: Also, if you are so inclined, you could help out the show by using our affiliate link on our website. You just click on it, it takes you to Amazon. You can continue your shopping as normal. It doesn't cost you anything. It's totally, completely free to you. It only takes a couple seconds, and it helps out the show. And so far, we've we've done a little bit so far, and the more, the merrier, especially this time of year. And we can reinvest that money back into the show.
1: And the other way that you can help the show is by stopping what you're doing right this second, pause the show, give us a rating, make it that five stars, don't do that one-star shit. Five-star rating, tell us all about it, tell us where the, what was it, Tom? The... Most okayest? Is that what it was?
2: The most okayest is probably my favorite <laughs> review so far. The person got a hold of us later and told us he really enjoys the show. He loved us, but he's really sarcastic, so he threw that out. And to be honest, Ben and I loved it. Like, it cracked us up <laughs> when we read great. that. So we really want you to do that. We can't stress enough how important that is to the show and uh, how we progress. And also, through some tireless. Backbreaking, knuckle-bleeding hard work, Ben has a s- exciting, exciting, exciting announcement of where you can find us now.
1: Well, we have added a new platform. You can now find us on YouTube. So we're going to start broadcasting these episodes on YouTube as well. So if you're at work and they let you have YouTube but not some of the other sites maybe, you can give us a follow and a listen there too all the episodes will be on there in their entirety for you to listen to
2: and since we're talking about social media and all of our platforms and everything we would be remiss if we didn't do some shout outs so of course we cover Christine and her wonderful podcast please make sure you follow that listen to her Uh, she is a great person I really enjoyed our time talking to her hopefully we get to do something again and also uh, we got some Twitter love
1: yeah we did I was like hey alright so, was it Simple Health Radio at Simple Health Rad? They gave us a follow Friday and said that we were in the list of about 10 of their favorite podcasts. So, that was pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. I mean, when anybody beside my mother <laughs> comments and says, hey, you guys are awesome, I- I'm stoked.
1: Yeah. It's, an, it's like another tweet that I've seen that kind of resonated with me quite well. And it was, you know, talking about these indie podcasts, which we are. I mean, we're doing this – because we want to, and, uh, you know, we're not getting paid yet, hopefully soon, (laughs) but, you know, we're an indie podcast, and a listener reaching out to us via email or by commenting means almost as much as 100 downloads to us, because it's that... You know, we're not just screaming out into this void of nothingness that you know people are actually listening and paying attention and enjoying it. And
2: that's a whole nother reason we like the reviews is not only does it help the show, but it kind of you know it gives us uh, some feedback on what we're doing. We really do uh, want to do the best show possible. So the more we know, and the more you tell us, the better we can make the show. And that's truly also one of the goals we have is not just to make the profession better, but to make ourselves better. And to make the show better, so please let us know. Um, And I, I mean, I prefer it in the rating, but the rating and an email would be just as good. Just let us know what we can do, and
1: we'll do it. And you know, we would like to apologize for the last episode for anybody who spit coffee all over their steering wheel listening to it because we actually did get that comment back to us.
2: (laughs) That that was seriously in a perverse way a heartwarming moment. Like ah,
1: right there, yeah, hit you right there, yeah.
2: Got me in the fields,
1: but speaking of getting into the fields, Tom, let's go ahead and throw to our interview with Christine. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this and hold on, Ben okay. hold
2: on. I want to go to this yeah. episode as much as anybody, but I think I think uh we have an announcement to make about a promotion within the just on podcast oh. family
1: how could yeah. I? How could I hmm.
2: Don't worry, I, I, it was my last note. I just wrote it while you were talking, so it's okay. <laughs> and he's going to love this. So, you know, we uh, we involve friends as much as possible, people in the health profession sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, matter of fact, Jason and John, the music critics, are no way health-affiliated, but they listen to the show and they gave us some feedback. We truly appreciate that. Kyle, the sound engineer, Ben, I... But uh, Sam, the fact checker, has really stepped up the last couple episodes. He's yeah, been yeah, he really super was. involved, super involved, trying to get into the show as much as possible. And, you know, we were, we were talking, and we, we think Sammy boy deserves uh, a bit of a promotion. So we talked about it, and, and Ben, you want to you do the final honor?
1: Well, now let's ensure that we understand that he still has to maintain all of his fact checker duties, you know, he doesn't get to uh, get rid of those, but we're going to officially call him Producer Sam now. So he's, you know, he can list it on his resume or whatever now that he's a <laughs> he's a producer.
2: Yes, he is the producer of a non award winning <laughs> podcast. So, well, it's not award winning until I get that damn Nobel Peace Prize. I'm still waiting. I am still waiting for that call.
1: We are the award winning podcast. It's never won an award, Tom. Damn it, get it right. <laughs>
2: Either way, it's uh, music to my ears to hear to hear the word Ward and Tom and Ben. Oh, it's just just fantastic. Big shout out! So we, we love Sam. You know, he's a uh, he is a healthcare professional. He is not a nurse practitioner, but he you know wants to be involved. And he is the man, especially when it comes to obscure facts. Oh my goodness, this guy can find some stuff I would never have thought of. So we just thought it was uh, the best time to do so.
1: You ready to get into the episode now? Mm,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All All right.
1: right. Hey, enjoy this episode with us and Christine from Antidote Stories and Medicine.
2: So tonight, Miss Christine, welcome to our podcast. And we are so happy to be on yours.
0: Uh, Welcome to my podcast. (laughs)
2: Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Hey, I I feel the same way. I'm like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Like, this is like the dual podcast episode. So I'm like, whatever. It's both cool. Fine. We're on yours. So It's a
0: a podcast off. It's a nurse practitioner (laughs) podcast off. (laughs) Um,
1: There
2: you go.
0: (laughs) Hi, guys.
1: (laughs) How are you doing, ma'am?
0: I am well. How are you? How was your weekend?
1: Well, I worked all weekend. I got up 7 o'clock this morning, so I'm... So kind of dragging ass a little bit, but, you know, the joys of working ER sometimes. I had to work part of the weekend.
2: Uh, I actually worked when one of our episodes came out and one of my techs saw it on Facebook, downloaded our podcast and listened to it sitting next to me. And it was one of the m- more embarrassing moments of my life. I mean, in a good way, I chuckled, but she was literally crying in her seat, laughing and yelling quotes from the show at me. So it was uh, it was an interesting Saturday. We'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> and so for people that are listening to this on my podcast, which is Antidote Stories in Medicine, what is your podcast?
1: We are Just Some podcast.
0: <laughs> which, which is, a, I had talked about before in one of my episodes. You guys are a nurse practitioner podcast, and your recent episode was about a blood alcohol content. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we uh, talked about you know the short term and long term effects of alcohol, and we at the time thought it would be a great idea to get intoxicated <laughs> while doing that. It didn't work out so well. We ended up having to reshoot half of it because the latter half of it we got rather intoxicated and. Yeah, it wasn't it, it great.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect example of why you shouldn't do things intoxicated. So I think you kind of proved your hypothesis there a little bit.
2: Well, we feel that way. But at the same time, most of our feedback has been, dude, you have got to do that again. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But so far, it's been at least positive. But it was a uh, interesting experience. And... Uh, most like, uh, I think it was Hemingway said, like you know, always do things sober that you said you do drunk. Like this was a definite, like oh yeah, this will teach you to keep your mouth shut when you're intoxicated. Hear, <laughs> keep yourself recorded and blast it out on a podcast will definitely open your eyes about what you sound like.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a, a drunk nurses podcast or a drunk nursing nurse practitioner podcast is probably a little bit uh, dangerous for the licensure and liability part of our profession. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I guess repeated if if we deep. were yes, it yes, yes, that was to say, we like we we took extra precautions to make sure we didn't cross any lines, but oh, just just sounding just listening to yourself, you're like, yeah, yeah, I uh, I think we're gonna drink at home alone now, like no more going out, so.
0: A sobering experience. Well, it's in my lineup for uh, podcasts. All my podcasts that I like to listen to come out on Thursdays, so I get like inundated, and then i I have to catch up on them (laughs) by Wednesday. Again, I'm just out of them, so I'll have to listen to it on my commute tomorrow. I have a cushy uh, primary care hours, so I did not work this weekend.
2: Well, for the most part, i I work in a primary care office, but I work like the walk in section, so I get that rotating. Every so many Saturdays, so it's been not it's not been too bad. It, it's still definitely a better schedule than when I was a staffy ER nurse.
0: Oh yeah, I I mean I worked on the ambulance and that was just hell on earth as far as scheduling goes. We're recording this a week before Christmas, and I used to work so many Christmases and Christmas and New Years are always on the same day of the week. So if your shift is on Saturdays, you are hitting both of those holidays, and it just it sucked. So. I feel you, everyone out there that's working.
2: Yeah, uh, staff nurse, and then I was a police officer before this, and both professions just do not lend themselves to bankers' hours. So if you're working it, you're, yeah, if you're if you're if you're a staff nurse, police officer, paramedic, firefighter, uh, I feel for you. I, I've been in your shoes. I am sorry, and hopefully you don't have to work every holiday. <laughs> that's that's about it.
0: I liked working um, New Year's Day, though. That was my favorite one because you got a holiday pay, but everyone was hungover and they were in bed. and They weren't up to anything, and so you just basically got to do nothing. Everything was closed, and got paid pretty well for it. So that was my favorite. But usually, you I can't watch be working for that. Yeah, football. Sure, if you wanted to. I was
2: gonna say that, that's that's the one drawback is if you're uh, if your team's good enough to be in a New Year's Day bowl, you know that. You know, old lady is going to call about her trash can lids missing and if you're a cop or something like that. And you're going to be out doing a patrol when you should be at the station watching a football game. It always it always bitches you somehow.
0: So my podcast knows a little bit about my background, but you guys are DNPs and I actually have not talked about the DMP. You, you're you both DMPs, Is that correct?
2: Uh, not yet. I am looking at some DNP programs. However, Ben is the one to talk about DNPs.
1: Yeah, actually two years ago to the day, it was the day I walked across the stage and got my doctorate. And we were the first cohort from my university to get our doctorate in like the 113 year history of the university.
0: Yay. Congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) Happy anniversary of DNPing. (laughs) (laughs) If that's a thing. So explain what the DNP is, because this kind of baffles a lot of people, patients, even other nurses.
1: So the DNP is basically just the terminal degree for nurse practitioners. You know, I started out with my master's, and at the time, the college that I went to did not, or the university that I went to, did not have the doctoral program. And when they introduced it, they called me up and said, hey, would you be interested in this? And there was something about it that just told me I needed to do it. And so I did, and it does add some additional uh, schoolwork aspects to it, you know, the paper writing and things of that nature, but I did get to do an additional clinical rotation and I did mine through ideology. And so that helped me tremendously, both in the primary care office, but also in the ER as to sit there and, you know, I kind of likened it to, uh, if you remember back in like the nineties, the pictures in the malls where like you had to stare at the thing long enough and the, the image would just kind of appear. Uh, that's how it was for me li- reading like CAT scans until I sat with a radiologist for hours and hours and he started pointing things out and I'm like, that makes sense now. Like I see it. So <laughs> I think it was great for me.
0: I love looking at radiology. Whenever I have images that I get to pull up, I just think it's, it's so cool and, and trying to figure out the puzzle. It would be great if someone actually gave me the, the answers and sitting next to them. That's really cool. I didn't know that there was even DMP programs that have a radiology focus.
1: Well, we got to choose a specialty, and I knew that that was one that I was weak in, and so that's why I chose that.
0: Sure. Everyone always asks me, like, what is that, and what's a PhD? And I, I try and explain that the DMP for nurse practitioners is to a PhD as is the MD to PhD for physicians. It's the clinical doctorate, sort Correct. of, although it doesn't really change our st- scope of practice.
1: doesn't really change our scope of practice, and doesn't really... It doesn't, I mean, it impacts what I do in that I have more education and training behind it, but as far as my day-to-day activities, it's, it's basically the same other than it's just a clinical doctorate versus a PhD.
0: Do people call you doctor at work?
1: I personally, I mean, I could go by that as long as I end it with, you know, like I'm Dr. Ben, nurse practitioner. Right. Um, I don't, I do it's still a touchy subject that I don't want to piss people off um, yeah. that I work with. So it's just easier to not do that. Uh, I still have patients that do it. And for them, I don't, I mean, it, you know, like kids and things like that, but for the most part, no, not really.
0: It's, it is such a touchy subject and I get kind of pissed off and I don't have a DNP, but it's like, If you went to school for a doctorate of anything else and you're working in that role in that profession with that doctorate, you would be called doctor. But just because other people have doctorates in something else, also called doctor, it's not culturally appropriate to be called doctor. Like mm, makes (laughs) me like yeah, I'm not really like okay with it. Like If you had a doctorate of basket weaving and I was taking your basket weaving course, I would address you with the credentials that you have earned and also paid a lot of money for, like, <laughs> doctor of basket weaving, I like respectfully. That. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people are like, oh, nurse practitioners want to be physicians and be called doctors. Like, no, I want to be a doctor being a nurse practitioner. That's why I did it. Like, exactly. Um, we, yeah. It, there is an oncologist in the area that has a nurse practitioner that works for them. That has a doctorate, and she is referred to as such a doctor. And I had a patient who was mm, notorious, and she was like, I'm going to see doctors, Dr. Smith or whatever, the nurse practitioner. And she kind of made this snide comment of, she's not really a doctor. And I was just like, oh, God. But anyways, I could rant about that. But that's not why we're, <laughs> that's not why we're here. Um- <laughs> maybe
2: maybe we should talk to Christine again when we do uh, the education episode, when we get on to some of that information. Because honestly, one, I feel the exact same way. And two, I'm also still struggling because I, I have decided I want to get um, that advanced degree work that... I'm looking at those aspects, which would be more advantageous. Do I go to the PhD for the research aspects? Do I go for my DNP for the clinical aspects? It's, it's one of those things I'm still looking at for both. I think I'm settling. I shouldn't say settling. I think I've chosen the DNP, but it's still something I'm, I'm working back and forth on. But ultimately, those are some of the same things I think about is, well, one, why am I doing it? And two, is this really going to be worth it in the end? dealing with those little things because those little things honestly bother me more than big things. And I just, it annoys me.
0: Yeah. I, I know I would like to go back for a doctorate and if I would ever go, it would be for a DNP. I'm not a huge research person. I love the clinical part of my job. I just, I love it. It's just really expensive. I have my student loans and I'm still paying off. I'm okay. relatively new in practice. I mean, I, never use my GI Bill, so I may use my GI Bill to pay for a DNP at some point. Um, but I'm just so busy right now, I don't have the time to do it. So maybe in the future I'll we'll use that GI Bill.
2: So tell me so obviously you were military. Was your military background involved in medical field or were you in some other MOS?
0: I was yeah, so I was a medic. I was a I was a reservist. So I'm like didn't I didn't deploy we did, we did some medical missions and, and things. Um, non nothing combat, but it was really great training though to do, to do combat medicine training. Um, that's a weird, way. to learn um TC three so tactical combat casualty care, and um what a field med- field hospital does. It was really really interesting to add on. So basically, my background is that I got my EMT in high school because they offered it. And that was great. And then I went to college and I was like, I'm going to be pre-med because everyone told you that you should go to medical school because you're smart and you're too smart to be a nurse. You don't want to wipe ass. Right. And (laughs) so I got a biology degree and I hated it and I was miserable, Uh, but I worked as an EMT the entire time. And I worked in very urban 911 systems. So I, so I graduated from college with this degree in biology, which like Everybody has if you want to get into a medical graduate program. And I was like, what the fuck do I do with my life? And so like every young 20 something woman, I joined the army and uh, it was great. It was just really different. And I did a lot of things I never thought I could do. And then I came and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to their PA program. That didn't happen. And then I came back and found a direct entry nurse practitioner program while I was still working on the ambulance and then got in there, went back for a second bachelor's in nursing and then did my master's. So that's kind of how I got into this whole thing. But I, I love the nursing model. I, I like it a lot better than that medical model. I just think it's a little bit more well-rounded and a little bit more compassionate overall.
1: So I'm curious what 20-something females you were hanging out with.
0: The, oh, I might. Button. I may have be been a little facetious there. <laughs> I'm like, wait. What? <laughs> I have a very dry sense of humor.
1: <laughs> no, I liked it. I was. Yeah. just like, uh, I've known a few.
0: <laughs> that was that was a joke, <laughs> a bad joke.
2: <laughs> no, it's it's funny because Ben and I can see each other uh, over you know the phone and. We both looked at each other like, "Okay, I, I'm not the twenty-year-old females I have met. That doesn't mean they're not capable, but that's certainly not the route most of them were picking." So
0: yeah, that's that's why I say that. <laughs>
2: now, were you were you always interested, or was this something the recruiter magic mojo worked on you, or was it something like, "No, you knew this is the field you want to go into"?
0: Oh no, uh, not at all. Oh, you mean for like the military?
2: Yeah. Like, going to <laughs> the military, like, because, you know, they do offer a wide variety of jobs. And more than once, I have met people that were like, well, I didn't want to do this job, but this is what I was told. You know, and they got into it. Now, I understand you had your e- EMT before this, but I was just wondering, like, did you really want to go signal intelligence? And somehow they're like, oh, you're an EMT. Yeah, you could just go be a medic. And you were like, okay, whatever. Like, I didn't know if that was, like, your ultimate goal.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I had no desire to join the military until about two months before I did it. And I'm a very like, when I know I want to do something, I do it. Uh, And even if I was not planning to do it beforehand, kind of like this podcast, I was just like, I'm going to start a podcast. And I, I did it. And I was in paramedic school. So I graduated college. I started paramedic school. And one of my classmates had been, a medic in the army and he had been to Iraq and everything and he's a really nice guy. And he was like, Oh, you know, they have a PA program because I was doing paramedic school kind of just to do something else before I went to PA school and and figure out my life a little bit. And so I said, okay, well, I'll go and talk to a recruiter. And I went to the recruiter and I said, I want to be a medic. I loved, I love pre-hospital medicine. I love emergency medicine. I thought it was great. And the recruiter was like, well, we've got all these other jobs. We don't have just medics. We have medics that are also nurses, LPNs, actually. It was like this dual job. But it was the medic program is 16 weeks for AIT, which is your job school. But the LPN medic it at the time, now they're separate jobs. It was 16 weeks plus a year. And my goal was to like, as soon as you finish AIT, you can apply to PA school. So I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And they're like, well, there's no... They're really no one wanted to do the LPN job, so they were just telling you that there was no slots for the solo medic. And I said, Too fucking bad, I'm not signing unless you get me what I want. And I got really, really good scores on the ASVAP, which is the testing um to get into the military, which made sense because I literally just graduated from college with a biology degree. So like, yeah, I mean I did a little bit better than an 18 year old out of high school. Uh, so I walked out of their office and I got a phone call half an hour later and they're like, oh, we found a medic slot for you. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking miracle. Great. So um, I got what it's, I wanted.
2: It's amazing <laughs> the motivation they get sometimes.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, he wasn't like a bad guy. It was just like, look, I'm not I'm not an 18 year old from high school. Like, I know what I want. I want this. You have it. Give it to me. I'm not going to be fucked with. So. Yeah. So then I did that. And because I had had the EMT already, combat medic school is the first half is EMT basic. It's a national registry part of the course. And then you go on to additional skills as a combat medic. So combat medics have this weird additional amount of training that is almost like an EMT advanced. Um, we used to call it intermediate, but it's not quite a paramedic. They don't have the medical training that paramedics get. They don't have um, the cardiology and the diabetic emergencies management that, that you would get in paramedic school. It's not nearly that, but you can do surgical crikes. You can do needle chest decompressions. You're really good at managing traumas. And so, you learn that in addition to the EMT stuff. And you... You do it in the field and they're shooting planks above your head and you're up all night and you're doing all these war games and you're also learning um, a lot of infantry tactics because a lot of medics go to infantry platoons. and um, So it, it was really cool. It was just a very, very, very different thing than what I had been doing before.
2: Well, I grew up an army brat. I was around the military my entire life until I moved out on my own. And I was really considering... The very first thing I really wanted to do was, in the medical field anyways, was CRNA. And I was really looking at the Army for, for that. Because like you said, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. And I was thinking, hey, I go in, they pay for my school, I get this mm-hmm. experience opportunity, I come out debt-free. Seems like yeah. a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea. And I did ROTC and loved it. But like I said, my f- father and my stepmother are career military officers, and I just, I got the inside track, and I, I started thinking to myself, and that's kind of why I backed out. I was just like, I, I saw the inside, and they were like, you know, when they started, it was one way, and they're like, you know, so they kind of gave me their their perspective, and it, I just decided to go my own way, and sometimes I regret it. I'm not going to lie, but much love to everybody that's in the military or that has served. It's, it's a great honor to uh, speak to you and know that yeah, it went that way.
0: It's it's not for everybody, um, but it it's a really great experience. It's a great leadership experience for people that that it is right for. So I ended up being an NCO, which I think as a young female is also a really cool thing to get to just have that experience. Um, being standing in the front of a platoon as a woman is a cool thing. But the coolest thing I probably ever did was. And the last year that I was in the reserves, we did this medical mission to Texas and I was a medic, but I had finished my, I finished nurse practitioner school. I was licensed and just still a medic in the reserves because your civilian job doesn't change what you do in the military. And this happens a lot with the reserves you do something completely different in the civilian world than what you do in, in the army world. And so we go to Texas and it's this big multi-site humanitarian mission. So it's actually a disaster preparedness drill that they do every year. And they, uh, we do a lot of like disaster preparedness drills, but usually we have like fake patients. And so instead of doing that, these civilian organizations are like, well, look, we're doing all these, this, all these drills. Why don't we actually treat people? That way we know how things actually run and we can actually do some good for people. So it's like this five day event and, and, they've been doing it for probably almost 30 years at this point. And so I went down there and I got teamed up as just being the medic for the chief medical officer, who was this really nice guy who was a colonel in the Texas National Guard or whatever was down there. And he's like, what do you do doing? And I go, oh, I'm a nurse practitioner. And he goes, oh, well, you're a nurse practitioner this week. And I was like, Okay, well that's not my job in the military, but the <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Why? Well, I, I just graduated." And He goes, "Well, you're going to kind of like be working as my resident." And it was the first time I had been like out of training and we saw our site alone, saw probably I want to say 3,000 people. Wow. So before I before they made me working as a clinician, there was eight providers for 3,000 people. So then I made it to nine, but The way the military works is I was a sergeant, but the nurses are captains and majors, (laughs) they're officers. So the nurses that ended up working for me really outranked me, (laughs) but they were really cool and they were really respectful of my degree. And they, I mean, we were working like 16 hour days. People would camp out the night before to get in line, to get this free care. It was the only primary care was the only care of any kind they would get all year And so you would write scripts for Metformin for a year and they would come back the next year and they would just start crying when they would see you. And it was like the craziest thing that I've ever seen. And I would never have done it without the army. So it's just you get to do things like that. I don't think people know that the military does a lot of humanitarian missions, but they do.
1: That's cool. I would
2: say my... my I would say my, my father was involved in some UN mission work uh, with multinational force observers in Egypt and then uh, East Timor. And so he was down there for a lot of that. And hearing some of those stories, honestly, is part of what made me go, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't the final straw that broke the camel's back, but it, it was definitely part of the, like, what could I be doing more with my life when I'm listening to these stories about similar things? Like he, he was talking about people that would walk for like two weeks to get to a medical camp in these foreign countries that they were setting up to do all this work. And I was like, man, I feel like there's there's something more I should be doing than, you know, eating a Big Mac. So that's yeah. kind of where I, I was for a while. And then I hear these stories. And I'm like, well, I, I'm glad. I think I'm on the right road, but I've never been involved in something quite that large scale.
0: Yeah. And this was one of five sites and there was people that it was open to anybody and um, we would get threatened by the cartels because people would also in the United, this was in the United States because uh, we were treating people that would even come from Mexico. And of course there's all that controversy of, you know, should American money be treating Mexicans? And it's like, look, if you want to drag your child across a border for medical care, I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm going to treat you because you're a human. Yeah, And people were just, they were bringing their kids to be treated because they just thought the U.S. Army doctors were better, and they were just crying and hugging me and th- saying thank you, doctor, in Spanish. And this, of course, you're not going to go. Well, actually, I'm a nurse practitioner because <laughs> my Spanish is terrible. But, <laughs> but it was just it was just a part of the world and life that I had never even seen before. I imagined, but so yeah, you can do the army's not an easy life, but you can do some really cool stuff, especially in the medical uh, medical command. But you guys were both cops before so you had a little bit of paramilitary kind of existence i guess beforehand is that true both cops
2: uh yeah we we both were i'll I'll let ben speak a little more to his experience and then i can go over mine
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i actually uh, the way i got into i guess law enforcement or that aspect of it was i actually started out as a 911 dispatcher and i thought it was a great job i loved it i loved being on that end and Helping take care of people uh, during their emergency, and that's kind of what led me into everything else. But the one thing I didn't like about that was uh, you don't see the end of it. You know, like for a nine one one dispatcher, we take the phone call, yeah. we send the ambulance, and then that's all we ever hear. And so I did that, and then for about a year, uh, while I was doing that, also I was still I worked in it for a small police department. Um, As a law enforcement officer, I thought that's what I wanted to do with my life. Let's do law enforcement. My dad's in law enforcement. Um, My dad's former military. My mom's former military. And so I was kind of following in his footsteps of let's go the law enforcement route. And I love dispatching. So it seemed like a good fit. Ended up getting out of a bad relationship and kind of toiling in life as it is. And uh, my mom was actually has been a nurse for... 25 years now. And one day she sent me down and said, you know, you have the intelligence for nursing. You have the compassion for nursing. Just go do it. Um, And that's what led me into starting the nursing program. Um, Not having a clue what the hell I was getting into other than, well, my mom said I could do it. So I'm going to go do it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I continued. That's a good mama though. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, it worked out great.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, finished nursing school and because of my law enforcement and dispatch experience, I was able to walk into the ER as a brand new nurse, or I mean, as a brand new nurse. Uh, I started Memorial day weekend cause I'm fucking crazy apparently. Uh, cause why would you start <laughs> on that weekend of all weekends? But <clears throat> walked into the ER green as hell and went kind of from there. But it was that fulfillment of now I get to know what happens from, you know, the dispatch called through the ambulance now through the ER, so.
2: And to to let you know, I did know Ben at this point in my life. I was already a police officer, and trust me, and, and in some ways I just, oh, my God, I look back and I, I wonder what I was thinking. But, man, I used to give him holy fucking hell about being a nurse. I was like, oh, my God, you pansy-ass male nurse. <laughs> like, I, I could not give him enough shit because there I was, you know, Banner boots, full full dress uniform. I was like, nah, man, I'm going to be a cop forever. You can't, you can't stop me. And I'd come in and make fun of them. I'm like, oh my god, you know, how are you doing today, little lady, and all this, uh, all this stuff, just to give them hell. And then one day, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. So <laughs> uh, it's it's weird how the world turns sometimes on you like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I come from a long line of military and lots of police officers the town I live in there's several or the town and the county and the county above me several police officers that are family members it, it's just something um and we talked about it a little bit pre-show I, it's I enjoy being a nurse but I think being a cop is somewhat still in my DNA like there's just that part of you that feels like a duck in water when you're doing that and I uh, knew I wanted to do it and I did some really interesting jobs. I was a drill instructor for a shock incarceration camp. I did a whole bunch of other stuff and that was super fun. But then I finally got my dream and started at a police department. I too got dispatch certified just because that department required all rookies had to be dispatch certified just in case. And uh, just kind of worked my way uh, around and uh, the police world there for a while. And I, I loved it. It got my first degree is in criminal justice because of that. So yeah, had that experience and honestly, I will be completely truthful. That experience has been immensely helpful to me as a nurse and a nurse practitioner, because I, I try and tell people when I would train rookie ER nurses or rookie ICU nurses, not that I did a lot of the ICU training, but when I'd work with other rookie ICU nurses, I I, I just didn't, really ever freak out or have a problem in any sort of situations because I'd been in situations where if I made a mistake, I died or, or the person in front of me like died. And I try to tell people like, you're already in the hospital. Like the doctors are here. You got the equipment. Like when you're out in a rain and it's in an accident and you're the first one there and the guy's like leg is hanging off. That is a time you should probably be a little more (laughs) freaked out than during the trauma in the ER, like that's not the time to freak out. Like that's the time to do work.
0: That is so, so true. I think having been in EMS and EMS is not nearly as dangerous as being in law enforcement, but still when people are pissed off, they see the uniform and they don't really distinguish. You know, I've, I've had people pull guns on me. I've been almost stabbed multiple times and swung at, and usually I'm the smallest person there. So they kind of go for me and it's, you know, now when someone you know, something hectic is happening at work, it's like, well it's not my emergency and no one's trying to stab me right now, so this is fine. Like
2: <laughs> Exactly. And I try and tell them, especially new ER nurses during like their first code, I'm like, relax you are not going, you are not the one that's going to die. Okay. So you need to focus on what's going on. Okay. Versus when I was training rookie police officers, I was like, Oh no, you might be the one to die. So you need to know what's going on in front of you. And I, like I said, uh, me and cop loved giving you guys an EMS and fire a hard time, but it was also like the big brother aspect. And yes, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I felt like the cops are the big brothers because when someone did mess with you guys, all they had to be was like, Tom, it was over. I don't know what was going on, but I guarantee you we were going to squash it real quick because I got to pick on you guys. Nobody else gets to pick on you guys. That's my job. Like, you know, the drunk guy you're starting an IV on, he doesn't get to make fun of you or pick on you. I get to pick on you. So if he messes with you, I felt like as a police officer, I was like, nah. You don't get to mess with my EMS. <laughs> like, I get to mess with EMS. So that's, I always felt like ultra protective, like on fire scenes, if a firefighter ever actually had to go near a fire that he wasn't roasting marshmallows over. But if it wasn't something like that, I was like, nah, you don't get to mess with my firefighters. You don't get to mess with my EMS. And so I I always enjoyed the camaraderie and i I think sometimes people see like the videos online of cops and firefighters or cops and ems making fun of each other but they don't really understand that bond and again no no they don't that's that's also again i'm not trying to make this sound like i don't want to be a nurse practitioner i love being a nurse practitioner but at the same time i also i had this conversation just a couple days ago with somebody that's a firefighter and i was like i love what i do I love the office I'm in. I mean, I work with great people. I could not ask for a better job. But when you go into a house fire, I have been inside a house that is on fire with somebody else. And you almost don't come out like that bond. Even if you hate that person, (laughs) you come out and it's like, no, that's my dude. I might hate him. But that's my dude. And that's part of the thing that you miss in primary care. Like, yeah, we all have a great time. And, you know, we went over to so-and-so's house for a weekend party. But at the end of the day, there's that that strength of bond that is sometimes lacking.
0: It's so true. I mean, when I worked on the truck, multiple times my life was saved by PD. And when we would get calls for officer injured or officer down because – I worked in a very urban area. Cops got hurt, you know, whether it was a car accident or whatever. Thankfully, I didn't have any cops shot, although they did happen while I was working. I just wasn't at those calls. You know, you you drive like hell. Um and it's just it's it is a different feeling than going to any other call. It's that's one of us. You know, you're Yeah. They they saved me. I'm going to be there for them and just you hold on and you're going to – I'm going to do everything I can for you because this is one of my guys.
2: And and honestly, I, I felt that way like Ben in the ER. I know for a time that hospital did not have security. Like literally we were pretty much security. Yeah. And if you heard ER has got a patient out of control, like I could not get there fast enough. Like no, 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 no. I got to be there. And that feeling, it, it only happened a couple times. Well, I shouldn't say a couple times. It happened often, but there was a few times – you could feel the difference over, the, like literally over the microphone. Like you could hear, yeah. it wasn't just, Hey, I need backup. It was one in particular case. I won't go into all the details. So, <laughs> but basically he was in a part of town that you did not go to by yourself on the weekends when there was a couple hundred drunk people there. And there was a person down and the first officer arrived and he was a rookie and he wasn't unking his mic. So literally, he's like, "Yeah, this is so and so. I need get the fuck back." And he's like, "You could hear him yelling into the crowd." And I was like, um, "Oh, like I was literally pulling on the steering wheel, like trying to stand on the gas pedal." I was like, "I gotta get there quicker." Or yeah. uh, I think the scariest though was another officer, uh, a really good friend of mine, was chasing guy. He's like, "Oh, I'm I'm in foot pursuit from a car stop," and then literally silence and. I was the next senior person, and I was like, "You get the National Guard, you get you get everybody online, like right now, to come out and look for." It. And realistically, it could have been a bad situation. His his uh, radio had fallen off while he was running, so that's mm. what it was. But I'll tell you, it was 120 seconds of pure terror for everybody that was on duty and rushing to the scene because we just lost him. Like you know, there was there was dead silence on the air, and that was probably. Other than the few situations I've been in personally, one of the most God-awful, terrifying uh, situations I've ever been through in my life is your buddy is – there's dead silence when you're calling if he needs – like where's the location? Are you hurt? What's going on? And nothing. And that, that was truly like, Oh my God. So now we made fun of him when we got there. (laughs) When we knew he was safe.
0: Well, yeah. Naturally. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I I think it's hard for people not in our worlds or have been in our shoes to understand that gallows humor and how important it really is to us. And that's, that's something truly I, I miss and I hate about the world right now, where if you say anything, they don't like it. People feel they have the right to bitch. It's like, nah. Unless you're here with me, <laughs> let's like take a step back and and let us say or do what we're doing, you know, within certain bounds, I guess. But it it's truly hard for someone to understand that the person you were just about to start crying in your car because you thought they were hurt, that as soon as you see them, you're like, Jesus, you're a pansy. You lost your radio? Like <laughs> what what's going on? So yeah. yeah, it's uh it was a great life. I loved it, but You know, I get to help people now. I had one of the very first uh, patients was a little girl. Call me doctor, and again, I normally try and tell people, "No, I'm your nurse practitioner." Just because I work closely with a couple doctors, you know, just I just want that division, just so they know it's like a respect thing. But she was like, "Oh, my, my, you're my favorite boy doctor." I was like, "Oh, thank (laughs) you." And she drew me, or she had colored in like a picture and handed it to me. And I was like, oh, I like I just wanted to hug her and like pick her up. <laughs> just like, oh, you're amazing. So I, I can't say that I don't love what I do now. I just it, it's I, I guess it's got to be like if you have two kids. I only have one kid, but if you have two kids, like you could love them both a lot. Except for my parents, they probably picked me because I'm obviously the best of the the family. They picked you yeah, for the people. <laughs> but other people probably have that same thing where they can love two things so much yeah so
0: <laughs> you're right there's it's a, it's a different feeling. I don't have that camaraderie that I have like I don't have that camaraderie now with my colleagues that I had in EMS and I'm still friends with my. Old partners. I mean, they were my first guests on my podcast. I called them up and was like, Hey, we haven't talked in a while. You're coming on my podcast. Let's t- tell me about our craziest stories together. And uh, we got an officer down call and you're right. It was just heart stopping. It ended up being a hostage standoff and the police officer was not injured because they thought he had been shot at, but Uh, He was, they missed. And this guy barricaded himself inside a house with his girlfriend and his mother. And it ended up being this whole thing where the SWAT team got called. We were on a SWAT standby. And, um, I had actually just gotten back from AIT, the army job school for combat medic. And, um, the SWAT team was posted up on all the fire trucks and I ended up running in with the SWAT team as they're throwing flashbang grenades. And I'm not a tactical medic at all. Oh, that's, was,
2: that's a, that's a rush, isn't it?
0: That was incredible. <laughs> and my partner was like, the grenades were going off and they're like, he's like, what is that? I'm like, they're flashbangs. Keep going. Because we did that in medic school for the army. Like, that's what you do. And, um, we get in there and there's just smoke everywhere. And this guy, he, he released the hostages, but he tried to kill himself um, by cutting everything. Oh, my God. His his arm was like... Um, you pick up like a wet sponge that's like completely impregnated with water. That was his arm with blood because he just tried to cut everything. Nice. But we, we bandaged him up and we got uh, fluids running into his bicep because that was the only line you can get on him. He also tried to cut his jugulars. And we extricated him through the windows and we're like all over the news. <laughs> and you could see us. And like... I was like, "Oh, I just ran into a hostage standoff with a SWAT team." Well, that was that was fun. Oh, um, yeah,
2: they, they. My hair looked okay. <laughs> See, I'm bald, so I, I don't have to worry <laughs> about that stuff. You know, it's it's funny because I'm I'm actually a level one hostage uh, certified negotiator, and. I remember when – I think the chief was just trying to get me away from the station for a week to be completely honest because I remember when he was like, hey, Tom, uh, you and so-and-so and so-and-so are going to hostage – I was like, me?
0: He'd he <laughs> make up hostage standoffs.
2: Yeah, and I was, <laughs> like, I was like, well, because – I was most voted most likely the guy to go like pick up the phone, hey, uh, let him go. And when they said no, uh, okay, well, let's go shoot him. Like, they were like, not Tom. You don't want to let that guy go do this. Um, but I learned a lot. It was a great school. Um, however, it led me to a funny story that you just reminded me of. One of the videos they showed us was from a hostage standoff. EMS was arriving on scene because the officer had got shot. And EMS goes, oh, the scene's not secure. It literally is backing away from the officer who is running towards the EMS.
0: Oh and no! Like, oh yeah!
2: And this like whole thing got burned into my memory. And I literally, when I got back, I went to every paramedic. and was like, if I'm shot. <laughs> And you drive away from me, you had better fucking keep going because I will fucking kill you. So you had I'm, better. I'm gonna you shoot better your tires I, out. You better hope I bleed out before I get into that ambulance. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and I, again, totally understand scene security, though much props yeah. to you. Um, if you, if out there listening, have never experienced a flashbang. I have. Wow. Boy yeah. is that fun. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that is a uh, that is a experience right there to go through through one of those things. So
0: I actually, open your mouth of it.
1: So I actually got to uh experience a flashbang as the bad guy in the house because you <laughs> Oh jeez. And so it was the S R T team and so they're like you know, they come in and they tackle you and handcuff you and all that good stuff, you know. Practicing. And they go out and they say, hey, we're going to flashbang you this time. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, guys. And they weren't kidding. <laughs> so I'm in the living room hiding. And I hear, tink, roll. And then I hear just, yeah, boof. Yeah, it's like
2: it's a, it's like it's like if a cam- it's like if a camera flash had a noise <laughs> like, oh my god, I can't see or hear anything though. No. Oh yeah, those things are incredible. They are so much fun. But yeah. Here's the funny thing is like once they go off, you know, everybody knows you're there. I remember barricading a scene and boom, like two or three flashbangs go off, you know, the windows are shattered, everything's gone, they're running into the scene, and literally the rookie next to me, because we had been on like pretty much radio quiet 'cause it was like four A.M. we didn't want anybody to know we were walking up to the scene. And he's like, um, do you think we could do anything now? I'm like, I'm pretty sure they know we're here. <laughs> you can go ahead and turn your radio up now. But it's it's just <laughs> funny when you're it's funny looking back though, like I I guess it goes to training. Like he he went to what he knew and what he knew was he was supposed to stay quiet. I'm like, no, you know, now it's okay. <laughs> you know, let, let's yeah. go. But it, it's funny how when people are in their first stressful situation you watch them, and it's like, oh, is that how I acted? Well, to be fair, I know that's how I acted. I remember the first time I went on a call where you're supposed to pull out your gun. I walked up, everybody else has a gun out. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have one of those. And <laughs> I pulled it pulled it out, drew down, and it was it was something. But it's funny when you look back.
0: <laughs> well, looking back on that actual same hostage standoff, we were posted up as EMS, and we're, things you don't know in from the movies about hostage standoffs is like, you guys know as cops is that they have to give so many warnings before they can just go in guns blazing and like throw flashing lights at people and (laughs) so we're like camped out for like a couple hours and they're like you know give yourself up and do all this stuff and so we're just like fuck this is so boring and we're eating twizzlers and sitting on the stretcher like it was a nice night and they're like you know you're not undercover and i was like oh yeah like that was so dumb. Like we'd probably be behind. Like we're like we We had a good view, and like we were really far away. But like, like if he had like a rifle, he could shoot you. And you're like, oh, I'm stupid. Like what the hell is wrong with me? Like it was. It wasn't like right. Like next to his window, peeking in. But I was like, you idiot. Take your Twizzlers and go behind the fire truck. Dumbass.
2: What one of the you know one of the only times I remember, <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, this is gonna suck. So we lived in a uh, neighborhood that was, I shouldn't say neighborhood, in a city that was it was real rough. I mean, it was much rougher than you would expect. For if I told you where, it, you'd just like no, you think of grasslands and nothing, and it was actually a really rough town. And we got shots fired, like seriously, I maybe every other night for a while. I mean, it was just a rough town, and we're going to this shots fired call, you know, okay, units responding, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, hey, we got a second report. So I'm like, okay, well, that's uh, that's a little more safe. If I bought the fourth report, I'm like, okay, I don't think this is firecrackers now, <laughs> you know, like, here we go. <laughs> but the thing that got my attention, it's something you just said, was the last caller in said, hey, I own an SKS, and that guy is holding an SKS or an AK-47. And I'm like, well that is just what I want to fucking hear. You know, <laughs> roll it up to the scene. So this guy's got a weapon that could touch me in 500 yards. And I'm yeah. like, a, I'm like a city block away. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be super fucking fun. <laughs> roll it up to this scene. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's funny when you say that, like you just think back and you're like all the dumb things that I've lived through. <laughs> like, Oh geez. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Well,
0: just- Going on tangents about um, guns. When I had a mental health patient who this person believed that. Ugh, okay, so a lot of delusions here. That um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the exact story, but for some reason it was a mental health emergency and came in as him and Bruce Willis were going to kill all the white people. I think. Um,
2: Samuel and- Jackson, Die Harder. <laughs> That's, that's
0: no, no, what no. You're he said, of. no, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I'm thinking, of, but no, this guy, he's, it was like him and Bruce Willis, white man Bruce Willis, were gonna kill all the white people, and we're like, okay, great, with like a Chinese cookbook, and you're like, got it. And
2: I like where this is going.
0: This was a white gentleman, and so police had secured the scene, and they're like, go look in there. And we walk in, and there's a dozen samurai swords, and then probably 10 different rifles. There was like AKs, there was ARs, not, I was going to say m sixteen, but no, a, there was a bunch of ARs and stuff and just all the, like some old Russian rifles that I didn't know what they were or if they even worked. But you're just like, how did you get all these swords? And then, and all these rifles that are just, were not legal in the state that we were in, obviously. But it was just like, oh shit, like this is a city block and we had just kind of, we parked around the corner, but like, a lot of times for mental health patients, we would just kind of go on our own, but he could have just lit us up as we were walking in, and it's amazing that he didn't.
2: Complacency is a bitch.
0: I, I mean, uh, we, we did the right things, and we didn't die, but.
2: Yeah, Ooh. I, I uh, the closest, I shouldn't say the closest I got to die. The closest I got to dying by getting shot. Let's put it that way. Was a guy, I respond to a burglary alarm, uh, a business burglary alarm, right? So it's this big open parking lot area. It's raining cats and dogs. And I'm pulling up and I see this guy walking away. And it's a guy I've arrested a dozen times. I still remember his date of birth as social from all the times I had to process him. I mean, that's how many times I arrested this guy. And I'm like, hey, stop. And he keeps walking. I'm like, stop, or I'm going to arrest you for obstruction. And honestly, all I wanted to ask him was, had he seen anyone else in the area? Because. It was a hardware store, and I was like, this dude was not going to a hardware store. Like, That's not what he's going to rob. You know, I was like, I could give a crap less. I just wanted to see if he had seen anybody else, and he keeps walking, and he keeps walking. So finally, I stop. I get out of my car, and I'm like, god damn it, because it's poor. And I start walking up, and the guy turns around. He's got his hands in his pocket. Now, up until this point, I'd been totally casual with him, but something in my head said, get your hands out of your pockets. And what he did, there was a gun. And he was – yeah, it it ended real quick. I – Luckily, uh, his intoxication level made him a lot slower, and the barrel of a forty-five sig uh, in his face, you know, brought him to the light. But I mean, we were literally probably within two arms lengths of each other. It happened that quick, and I felt so complacent, like I should have never, you know, there's so many things I didn't do right, and if you know, it could have been, it could have been easily you know, a funeral. And yeah. I was like, Oh my God. You know, so I, again, I understand, you know, you get, you get to that point where you're like, and this is one of the things I'm afraid of as a nurse practitioner. Cause I'm still and new. I'm still very new is that, you know, five years from now, I'm going to be like, Oh, I know everything. Like, God, I don't, I don't ever want to get to that level.
0: Yeah. I'm afraid of that too. Like clinical complacency, but just kind of going back to the police thing, it was always really interesting For me to see cops on medicals, Um, (laughs) like cops when they got there first, because I worked in I worked in an urban area where there was tons of ambulances. Our response times were great. We were under six minutes for everything. Usually two to four minutes was our response time, but still it was two to four from dispatch. So cops usually got the call first and um, they were everywhere in these cities. So there was a couple of times where police was they were doing CPR first. They were doing interventions first. And they were just first responders, if that. I remember one time, and this will always just stick out of my head. It was probably one of, like, the most endearing things ever. This the city cop, and this is right around Boston, so thick, thick accent, jarhead-looking guy, like huge, ripped Marine kind of cop with a thick Boston accent. We, we roll up on scene for a PD seizure, and he... He comes just booking it out of the house, carrying this two-year-old little girl that's just limp in his arms. And he goes, she's she's pale, but she's breathing. And he just throws her at me. And he goes, she was having a seizure, and she stopped breathing. And she still had a pulse, but she just wasn't breathing at all. And this is like all in one breath. And and so then I breathed for her, and I gave her a couple of breaths. And then she started breathing again, and she's coughed, and now she looks pinker. Do you think I did the right thing? Is she okay? Is she going to live? <laughs> And it was and it was a cop that was experienced, but he was just so concerned about her, and he cared so much about this little girl, and like it was just so sweet, and he saved her life. He really did, because I think she probably choked on something and aspirated and had stopped breathing after the seizure, but it was, it was so sweet.
1: Hey, guys. This is Ben. Tom and I hope that you're enjoying this special episode of Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners with our special guest, Christine from Antidotes, Stories, and Medicine. If you're enjoying this episode... Make sure that you subscribe to her podcast, where she does this every week. and She gets medical professionals to tell all kinds of stories. That's antidotes, stories, and medicine. You can find her podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast now. You can also find her on Twitter, at AntidotesPod, and on Facebook and Instagram, at AntidotesPodcast.
0: So you had actually, I'm going to toss this back to you. You said there was a moment that kind of made you want to be a nurse. What was that?
2: So, I, like I said, it, it was it was more of a cracks in the dam, like multiple things that just happened and happened and happened. And I was already kind of, I, I just had a real knack. And I think Ben, like I said, we're from the same area. I think he can back this up. I had a real knack for being at the wrong place at the wrong time for like every bad call Mm -hmm. and it, yeah, it was, it was just, you know, I was a young guy I was in the early twenties and it was starting to weigh on me. And, and that's, that's something I, at the time I thought down on myself. I think that was that bravado, like stop being a pussy. Like you're, you're a police officer. You can't be like this. And now I look back and go, dude, Oh, that's some mental strain. You, you, we should, we need to be more cognizant of, but.
0: uh, Oh yeah. I had that too.
2: The, I think the final night, th- there was a final night. Like I said, there was multiple things. And if we ever do this again, I like I said, I have a thousand stories. But the final night, I was actually a deputy at the time. and Because I I'd worked for both the county and the city. And I was just coming on duty. The young lady I was dating at the time wanted to do a ride-along. So we were both walking out to my patrol car. And they said, um, there's a house fire in town, possibly two people inside. And so I gave my call number. I said, County, I'm on duty. I'm in or out. And she got, I was like, if you want to come, come get in the car or go inside. But I'm like, we're going now. So she jumped in the car. Mm-hmm. I jumped in the car. We, we go like the this call. And we get to uh, this house and it is fully engulfed. And I try and tell people like, if you look at charcoal briquettes, you know, and they have been in the bottom of your grill and they start to get that white color. Like that's what the inside of the house looked like. It was just, it was going. Yeah. And, uh, I see the cops down on the side and I'm like, okay, I'm putting my patrol car in position to block off traffic for fire. And I start running up and both the parents are outside. And later on, we had found out that each parent thought the other parent had the children.
0: Oh God. When
2: they had got outside. And Mm. so I find the, I find the, the officers on the side of the house and I run up and there was a couple windows and I took my flashlight out and I hit one of the windows and broke it out. And of course, you know, firefighters and everybody else would be like, Oh, that's stupid. I'm sure they would. Cause I ended up cutting the shit out of my arm, but I reached in and I was trying to get stuff out of the way. There was something in the way. And I ended up uh, just grabbing a hold of whatever it was. And I yanked an entire dresser <laughs> through a window. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know? So like through this thing on the ground and we're helping this other officer up and, uh, we both reach in and he got one of the kids out and I'm like, Oh God. Okay. So, you know, he runs her over to paramedic. I'm like, okay. So being this other officer he's like, there's, there's one more, there's one more. And, um, being these other officers, I remember I was there. I just don't want to say any names, but we're all there and I'm screaming into this window that might as well be a black velvet curtain. Like this right. smoke is just pouring out and, I am screaming at the top of my lungs this kid's name and like just nothing. I'm reaching around. I actually took my duty belt off. I, I will say uh, a certain assistant chief probably saved my life because I was going in the house. I'd taken – dropped my duty belt. I was like, that's it? Like I'm going in and this guy literally grabbed me. He's like, fire is almost here. Like you cannot go into that house and uh, firemen got there. They set up these positive pressure fans and within a couple seconds we could see a foot under a bed and uh one of the firemen were there and so finally me and him argued for a second because he's like we can't go in yet and i said well you're going or i'm fucking going but someone's going and finally i actually threw him through a window and he went in there the firefighter? yeah like it was already broke out like i know the guy yeah, he, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's a great guy but well, he's a little guy so i actually tossed him through the window because adrenaline's pumping and, uh, He's got
0: turnout gear on. So. Yes,
2: yeah, yes. He's perfectly safe, right? So, so yeah, yeah. I uh, I throw him through a window, and he brings the little uh, little guy out, and um, he didn't make it. And I went out to the ER, and uh, they had already life lighted the first one out, and I walk in, and I mean, I know now there was intubation and I O and all the, all the stuff going on. And I see the ER nurses and I see myself and I'm like covered in soot. And, um, I, I felt, uh, for, for lack of a better, I, I don't know what everybody say I felt like completely helpless and
1: mm-hmm.
2: everything else that had left this moment, I was like, I will never feel this way again. I will never, I will never be in this position. And I like literally walked back up to my car and said, I'm going to nursing school. Like, right, like, bam, it was done. I made that decision that second. I had to do something so I could help people. That's what I wanted to do as a police officer. And I had made the decision. That's what I was going to do. And. Literally within a week, I had grabbed my application. I talked to Ben and said, "Hey, I need a reference." And you know, we we went we went down uh, down that road, and it was it was a long, hard. Uh, it was associate program, and it was hard. I worked all night as a police officer, then I'd go to school all day and fit in clinicals uh, somehow. And it was a uh, it was a rough time, but
1: I am glad
2: I did it.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's a story.
1: Yeah. It mm. uh. <laughs> You know, Tom, you and I have a mutual friend, James, that we kind of bag on for the show because it's funny sometimes, but your story kind of sounds a lot like his to an extent. He helped me through, uh, I'd lost, as a provider, I'd lost a young patient. She was in her 20s and um, was like a family member. And, you know, so I had seen her because she wasn't feeling well and ordered some lab work and had wanted to do an EKG in Asano and... They had said, oh, well, she's graduating college next week. I'm sure it's just stress. And so I kind of, okay, yeah, I'm sure that's probably what it is. You're right. And her mom called me on a Friday night and said, she's down at the bar and they're doing CPR. And so I, mm. I'm like, okay, I'm sure, you know, they're non-medical. So maybe they're just misunderstood. And so I said, call me. as soon as you know, something. And I didn't get a phone call. I waited up several hours. I didn't get a phone call. Woke up the next morning, got a message that said, call me from her. And so I called her and she said she didn't make it. Uh, And so I beat myself up really bad, Uh, you know, as, as an ER nurse. And, you know, I could tell hundreds of stories of death in the ER, but as an ER nurse, we compartmentalize that really well. And, you know, as a provider that transitions and you're that final, it's your final say to an extent. Whereas with an ER nurse, you can say, oh, well, you know, it was the doctor. or, or, or To make it better for you, I guess. Um, yeah. And so I beat myself beat myself up really hard for a while. And he sent me a message one day and he said, you know, there's three types of patients in this world. And he said the first type is they're going to live no matter what you do. The second type is they're going to die no matter what you do. And the third type is the people that you can really help He said, so what you have to do is you have to stop focusing on the first and the second types, and you need to focus on the third type. And so I'm like, well, man, how would you get so wise? And he said, you know, basically, (laughs) he was in the military, and he was in an infantry-type unit and had friends die in front of him. And it was this feeling of he didn't know what to do. And he said the exact same thing that you said, Tom, that that will never happen to him again. He will never be in a position where he doesn't know what to do. And so that's why he went and got his nurse degree and now his nurse practitioner degree. And it's that feeling of not wanting to feel that way. But those three patients, I mean, he told me that three years ago, I think two, three, two or three years ago, and it still sits with me like three types of patients in this world. And so when I do have a patient that I lose, that's kind of where I go back to is, you know, those three three types of patients.
2: Well, and it's something I'm trying to hold on to because I'm still very much in that beginning phase like I said, I'm still a new nurse practitioner. I still have the Superman syndrome. Like I'm going to save everybody. And I think it's smart and it's completely true. Like us as nurse practitioners, that's how we have to view the world. When I was an ER nurse, I thought, nope. Well, I think there was only two types of patients. <laughs> the ones I was going to save or the ones that were dead before they got here. Like EMS Christine was going to bring me this guy and that was going to be on my lap. Because (laughs) she she (laughs) was going to do that out the field, but to be fair, like now if you brought him into the ER, I was going to save you, and I had a real time. I had a real struggle a lot of times as an ER nurse and as an ICU nurse. I worked at a ICU in a trauma or level two trauma center. Like we saw some bad stuff, and like I always had this inclination that I had to do everything. And I think as a provider, that's just too much. There's too much going on, and you're right. You have to. You have to kind of focus on what you can do or how you can do it. And I, I don't know, Miss Christine, have you you have any thoughts in that area?
0: I think the three patients are they're so true. I think I learned it in EMS. You know, there's a lot of times where you're gonna you're gonna work your ass off and you're gonna try and do everything you can, and they're just gonna die in front of you, and you're gonna you're gonna pretend that they're alive underneath your hands, but they're they're dead, and you're just kind of doing it until someone else tells you they're dead, which was how it would go in EMS. As a provider, you're the one kind of making the pronouncements. You're also going to fuck up um, because you can't know everything and you can't have infinite wisdom. And I say pretty openly, I had some really rough calls in EMS and I talk openly about mental health on my podcast for first responders and, and paramedics because of it. I had some really horrific nightmares, which... I still have really, really horrific nightmares from EMS. Thank God for Topamax. It's a really great medication for PTSD nightmares. But when I have really difficult cases, when I feel like I'm a little bit overwhelmed, I remember the really good ones. I remember the times when I, that third category of patient where I did save them. And, um, I guess I, like the times when I know, like that feeling that I saved somebody's world and, I guess I'll tell a story to kind of go out on a good note. Um, We. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I was like, how am I going to pull this back around? I hope she's got the steering wheel on this. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. Right. (laughs) So we, and this was, we were working BLS. very, Very inner city. We, English was not the primary language of this city. We didn't go places at night alone. To certain stores because it was just gangs and even in uniform you were a target. But I remember I used to work 16 on, 8 off, and then 16 on. And of course with commuting, like you just really didn't get much sleep. So if you got out on time that first shift. And so this was the second 16- Uh, in this city. And it was like probably an hour and a half before the end of the shift. I was exhausted. We had just been run all day long. And I was working with a partner who was really experienced too. And we were just kind of zoning out in that haze you take on these horrible base couches that have rats running underneath them, right? You can hear them in the summertime. And we get a call for a baby not breathing. And we don't even speak. And usually we had to wait for fire to... The way this city worked is... We heard it through the fire department radios, and we didn't get dispatched through fire. We got dispatched through our own dispatch. Sometimes we would talk to fire, but this case we didn't. Usually you wait because they would maybe send another ambulance, but we knew we were the only one, and we didn't wait for anybody. We just flew. We were, I drove. <laughs> I drove really <laughs> fast. We were probably there, and the 15. flux
2: capacitor kicked on.
0: <laughs> oh, God. And we had not even said a word to each other, my partner and I. We were there in probably 30 seconds from when we actually pulled out. And um, I had been in EMT for seven years at this point, more. Nothing really fazed me, but I could, I barely put the truck in park. I don't know. It's just one of those things you knew that it was bad. And I could feel myself shaking as I was putting my gloves on because the first thing I saw was just a baby on the sidewalk and underneath all these like big apartment buildings and all these adults were standing around, but no one was touching the baby and it just it wasn't right in my mind like what's wrong? Did it fall or something so my partner went and grabbed all the stuff and I just went right to this kid and this infant was probably seven or eight months old and no one spoke any English so we don't really know but somehow we found out that it didn't fall that they'd stopped breathing and they panicked and so they just came down to meet the ambulance and no one knew what to do so they just put the baby on the ground because they're panicking. And so the first thing I did was my assessment, right? And you just I picked the baby up and that big you put a baby on the ground and they got that big baby head and it just impedes the airway. It closes it off. So just by opening the airway, um the baby kind of gasped a little bit, but pulse was like really thready, barely anything. And so we just get it in the ambulance and we beat the fire de- the fire truck the fire department who was like two <laughs> blocks away. Those guys were slow. I don't know what the hell they were doing. They coffee, were
2: coffee, and Danish—that's what those guys are always waiting on.
0: It was like ten o'clock at night, and they must have their CPAPs on already. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I love you. Bye. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we we get him in the truck, and we just start working the code, and kids are respite their airway 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 and we're we're bagging him we're stimulating we're doing like two rounds of cpr and he just starts to cry and mom wasn't there mom was working the late shift and the paramedic truck shows up from who the fuck knows where they just showed up (laughs) like (laughs) we called for them but my partner and i didn't say a word to each other and we bagged him and we got the pulses became stronger and you know we're getting he's doing okay but he's still pretty critical and we just start driving to this major hospital in Boston, the closest one that was there. And so we'd done our CPR and mom doesn't understand. She finally got there and we didn't speak English. She didn't speak English and my Spanish is no bueno. So I'm driving. She's looking in the back. She's trying to look at her baby, but we didn't want her in the back because the last thing we want is freaking out mom looking at this infant in case it codes again. And there wasn't that much room. So she had not heard the baby kind of, making some noises and so we as we get to the hospital they had been giving him enough oxygen and and just assisting with ventilations as they needed to he actually perks up a lot and he starts to cry and we didn't speak the same language but mom looks at the crying baby and i go yeah it's good it's good and she just starts to cry and she hugs me (laughs) and baby lived i don't know why he stopped breathing and i don't know why he coded but baby lived and Every time I have something really shitty, I just remember getting hugged by that mom that didn't speak the same language. But we all know that a crying baby is a breathing baby, so that was that was good. So, yeah, that is, you just hold on to that. <laughs> that,
2: that is a good story. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, uh,
0: yeah.
2: And then you just kind of like, yeah. You have a call like that. You're like, yeah, I did that. And then you just walk off. You're like, holy fuck, what just happened? <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's that- um, that adrenaline dump of, do I want to go run six miles or do I want to go throw up in the corner? <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's amazing how I never, not as a nurse, not as a police officer, times I almost died, no matter what. Like, during the moment, you feel like cold steel, right? People are like, oh, are you okay? You're like, yeah. And then, like, you're off for yourself and you're like, holy fuck. <laughs> just want to throw Friday up everywhere. Down. Yeah. It's, Friday uh, that adrenaline dump is no joke. If there's people out there that have not experienced that, man, that is, uh, it's something it really is, but no, that is such a great story. And I, I try and hold on to those things when, when the, you know, things get their darkest. So I thank you for telling that because man, we needed a damn, right? I, feel, <laughs> I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel like I was like the Ativan of conversation there. Like after that, I was like, okay, okay it's okay. You know? <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, welcome to my podcast. This is where I do review.
2: <laughs> oh, so you guys
0: talk about billing codes. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: yeah, but but we also cuss a lot and, re- and you know talk about falling space debris. So <laughs> I mean, we try we try to make it a little little more happy, but sometimes, no. man, the subject matter is just. Well, for us, like, I think that's, I think it's an interesting thing, like, to talk about our different podcasts is, that's, that's one of the things with our podcasts is, sometimes we get, like, a really fun episode, like, alcohol, or weird medical stories, like, those you can kind of spin, but, and I think, I think our crowd, or people that listen to us know, like, we're going to cuss a lot, we're probably going to be slightly inappropriate, but not too bad, but, you know, it's, we're going to try to make things as lively as we can, but we also want to cover relevant medical information and when we talked about billing i was like how the fuck are we gonna make billing fun (laughs) like what is
0: so important (laughs) it is it is
2: extremely important but i'm like we're also here to like keep people entertained and i just don't see it (laughs) (laughs) with billing it's it's
1: hard that was the out of hand of conversation but hey it worked out
2: well well, i had i've had a blast christine i gotta be honest i really have
0: this is fun, I'm sure we could just tell first responder stories forever, but that would oh, be a yeah. long enough podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah I was I would say i you know honestly you you made me realize that maybe sometime soon uh we need to i think and I think we've had some specialty n p episodes we've been thinking about or working on the mental health thing is truly. And not just for patients. I'll be honest. Uh, I, I guess if you want to self-diagnose with PTSD, you know, there was an incident that to this day, there's one day a year. Like I, I'm a wreck. You know, 13 years later, I'm still like, nope. My my brain just does not do well on that day. So it's uh, it's amazing the mental health aspect of how things work and what it can do to you. So I'm I'm just super happy that. We can look back on these stories though, and something fruitful came out of it. Like some people go down that road and they just don't get off of it. And I think Hell all yeah. of us, I think all of us are examples of you can use that as the fuel for the fire to improve yourself and do something more, or as the excuse to just wallow and and do nothing more. So I guess big ups to us. I don't know. Like <laughs> there, there you go. Like yay for us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There, there are many ways to solve a problem, and uh, these are just three ways. So, hopefully, they're semi healthy ways.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say for, I think for, uh, for like six months, my way was the bottom of uh, like Jim Beam or Jack Daniel bottle. So that's not the way I would tell people that they need to uh, to deal with their their issues. In the oh world.
0: God! Oh, let me tell you about cheap wine. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Do you, do you have a particular brand? Because mine was Long Island iced teas, but if I was at home by myself, it was Jim Beam usually or Jack Daniels.
0: Oh, that would, it would, it was like any kind of like cheap under $10 bottle of wine would be like my EMF drown my sorrows kind of thing. I was also in a shitty marriage <laughs> since divorced, but it, like you're also in that culture. It's a culture of drinking and like fuck all. So yeah. it's, Oh, we can keep going, but
2: (laughs) no, no, I say no. I feel I feel very much the same way, and I, I know Benton has been out to the bar with me. It's just like, you know what? Fuck this. Meet me at this bar, and you know that's just what you did. Or you know, one of the shifts I worked every Friday night, we all met after the shift at this bar. It didn't matter if you even drank. If you just showed up and had a coke, it didn't matter. That's where we right. went. Like that was our thing. That's what we did. And you did not and that's break the trial. Too. Yes, exactly. So, so, it's, so it's it's a it's a it's a very interesting thing to hear other people's take on it. Cause like I said, it's sometimes I feel like me and Ben are the only ones that do that because me and Ben have known each other for so long and been through so many things. And then when you say it, I'm like, ah! I feel better about myself. <laughs> there you well, go. It's
0: that it's that brotherhood and sisterhood of first responders when you meet someone else that even though you didn't work together, you're like Oh, you get it. Like,
2: well, mostly this, the
0: same culture.
2: Yeah. Mostly that sisterhood though is the fire service. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, ma'am, is there, what else are you going with this? Uh, this podcast tonight, ma'am?
0: That, that's all I got. I got to eat dinner. <laughs>
2: well, you don't want to miss that. I'm I am tapped out for right now.
1: Well, those definitely were some interesting conversations that we had. Again, huge shout-out to Christine from Antidose Stories in Medicine. We appreciate you being on our show and us being on your show. If you want to reach out and join our conversation, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at JustSomePodcast. You can find us on the web, www.JustSomePodcast.com. Email us. Tell us, hey, you know what? I want to be a guest on the show, and we'll see what we can do for you admin at com, or we're on YouTube now, too.
2: Yeah, make sure you uh, hit that YouTube channel. That would be pretty awesome. I know a lot of people use that. Also, make sure if you do any Amazon shopping to use that affiliate link. Again, completely free to you. Just taking, just takes a couple seconds. Click on that link. helps out the show, and you can go about your uh, merry way. Ben, I think that pretty much covers...
1: That does. I think this was a great episode for... You know, kind of the Christmassy type episode that we wanted to do. Uh, we wanted to get kind of get around and tell some stories, and this would be coming out a couple of days before Christmas. So, for everybody who's working, we hope that it's a, a copacetic shift. We're not going to say the the Q word or the S word because we're not assholes. I mean, well, Tom is, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> but you know, we hope that. Hey, it's
2: I'm an asshole, but I would never do that. That's just low.
1: Just lines you don't cross, and that's one of them. You know, we hope you have a great shift. If you're home with your family, please enjoy the time. That's what we're going to be doing. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and we will talk to you
0: soon. This is Tom. This is Ben. Have a great week.